morning, church. So good to see you. This is really, really encouraging to see your faces this morning. I remember in seminary um, being taught by our professors about like church dynamics and the ebb and flow of the church calendar. They were like, okay, listen, if you're going to be a lead pastor, you have to know that the highest attended Sunday of the year is Mother's Day. Which makes absolute sense if you think about it. But they're like, on the flip side, one of the least attended Sundays is Father's Day. Which is a really a sad thing. But I'm so thankful to see your faces here this morning because that's not true here at Austin Oaks Church. Um, I want to say selfishly again, happy Father's Day to my own dad. I love you. I'm thankful for all that you've done. I'm thankful for the long-suffering and the patience that God has given you through 18-plus years of raising me. Thank you so much. Love you, Dad. Um, we are going to be now in the second week of this series of looking at the Holy Spirit and asking the questions, what does it look like to be filled by the Spirit? What does it look like to walk or be led by the Spirit? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And if the Lord permits, we're going to dive into the spiritual gifts and how we are all given a gift for the common good to build up the body of Christ in order to help the world see who Jesus is. So I wanted to share with you this, this morning, there's going to be some embarrassing stories from myself, um, but I wanted to tell you a little bit how I used to relate to the Holy Spirit when I became a new believer, or maybe this was like even just the way I thought about it, even before I put my faith in Jesus, I oftentimes thought that the Holy Spirit was a lot like the force in Star Wars, okay? So it's just like this thing where it's just like this, like this force field or this energy, this thing that's out there, it's an it. And I remember being like, okay, what is this like power? I hear about this power of the Holy Spirit thing. And, and like, as I would try to understand uh, the Holy Spirit, I re like, I remember a few times like trying to pray, but it felt like I was trying to, <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden the quote from Yoda kicks in, do or do not, <laughs> right? Really bad, I get it, but that's for you. There is no try, right? Like, and then, like that's how I started to feel about the Holy Spirit because I'm like, no trying? So it's like you, you do or you don't, and, but I'm like, okay, like, okay, just do, but what does that even mean? And so it felt like I was trying harder to do these things, like trying harder to utilize the Holy Spirit to, to find the power and all these types of things. And when mountains weren't moving, I was like, what's wrong with me? Do I not have enough faith? can't have any doubt. You can't have any doubt. You weren't healed because you didn't have enough faith. You didn't hear God's voice because you didn't believe enough. You doubted. Like we start to hear things like this as if it's like the force where it's something that we have to master. Almost as if like the Holy Spirit is this it's this entity that is basically a tool that's there for our disposal to use for whatever good we want to do. Like as I grew up, I was even like even not when I grew up, but when I put my faith in Jesus, the 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 circles I was running in actually started to teach the Holy Spirit this way. Like you just gotta name it and claim it. Because if not, you didn't try hard enough. There is no try. There's do and do not. But that's not like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't some Star Wars-y gimmick type of thing. Like we, we need faith, absolutely. Scripture's clear. And we're going to talk about that next week, about the vitality of faith. Because Jesus even said, according to your faith, it will be done to you, right? Like if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. But also at the same time, we see this father, a paralyzed son, when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, they're like, you know, asking Jesus, like, heal this boy. And the, he's, the, Jesus goes to the father, like, do you believe I can do this? He's like, I believe Help my unbelief. Well, if it was all dependent upon the man's faith, like what level of faith are we talking about? Like, how does this work? What does this look like? What's the role and purpose of the Holy Spirit? We got to understand something. And I know this sounds so foolish, but I am so convinced after years of talking to people in the church regarding the Holy Spirit, 
they think of the Holy Spirit as an it. As something out there, like a divine force. Something that's, they're not so much part of the Trinity. Like, we may even give mental assent that the Holy Spirit's part of the Trinity, but we don't also, oftentimes think of the Holy Spirit as a person. Right? Because we talk a lot about the Father. And we can understand the Father as a person. We talk a lot about Jesus, the Son of God. We can relate to Jesus as a person. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's mysterious. Like even the, the imagery we get, it's a wind, it's fire, it's a dove. But when we think of the Father, we can create a mental image. We can look at the, the Son through the Gospels. We can see Jesus in those pictures. But the Holy Spirit, we've got to understand that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity Right? He's part of the Godhead. He's a person, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not impersonal. He's not some thing that we just live in. He's not some like life force that binds everything together. It's not something we can master like the force. The Holy Spirit is what our Father in heaven promised to send when Jesus would ascend back to heaven to be with the Father. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the one whom Jesus was so eager to send. He would say, it's better, it's for your benefit that I go so that the Holy Spirit would come. So let's talk about this, okay? Let's talk about how do we interact with the Holy Spirit? 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It's a, it's a last verse in the second letter of 2 Corinthians. And I know a lot of times we may have just read it and just kind of passed on. But notice this, okay? Look at this verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's fascinating. Like we think of, we know, like we can understand what fellowship is, right? It's interacting, it's relationships, and oftentimes we use fellowship by being like we are the church. Let's fellowship together. But here we have this blessing from Paul, made the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's like this blessing of saying, engage in this relationship with this person, with the Holy Spirit, it's absolutely fascinating. Do you interact with the Holy Spirit as a person who has a mind, emotions, a plan, a purpose, a will? 100%. God in the flesh, Jesus promised to send a spirit that will show and teach all things concerning Christ and the gospel. So when I started thinking through how would I define the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to share with you my own personal working definition of it. I know it's flawed, but it helps me to just think in categories of what does this look like. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit, it's like having a, dy a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. A dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not static. It's not one way. It's dynamic. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Who then empowers us to love God and to love others? Okay? It's dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit who empowers us to love God and love others by working in us and through us to make Jesus known. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to unpack the next three weeks. We're going to look at these specific categories this morning. We're going to look at the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to forewarn you. I spent all week prepping a message, studying Galatians chapter 5 to this morning as I'm praying and <laughs> interacting with the Lord and trying to put into practice what we were saying. And next thing you know, I'm now not preaching on Galatians 5. So um, buckle up. Okay, so in other words, like, it's one of those things where it's like man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. And we talked last week about being filled with the Spirit and just trying to harness where the Spirit's going. And so as I was working this through, it was, I just felt strongly the Lord was leaning in a specific area. So I want to encourage you this morning. Our tech team's amazing. They put up with a lot of me. 
And so like when I gave them my notes, like at 9 a.m., they didn't put it all in and I didn't expect them to. So I want you to really pay attention. We're gonna go through a lot of verses this morning. Take notes, engage, okay? Because I do believe this is absolutely important for us as a church to understand what the fellowship of the Holy Spirit looks like. So we're going to talk about this dynamic relationship, okay? Last week, we talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a very nebulous statement. Like, what does that mean? In the moment we start talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, right, there's like certain images or fears and anxious thoughts that start to get attached to it. Is it like the charismania, the over and above, drunk in the spirit, giggling, flopping on the floor, all that type of stuff. But we noticed in that passage that being filled by the Spirit is being underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit. To be controlled by the Spirit, to be overwhelmed by the Spirit. It's a command that we're supposed to do every day, but it's in the passive voice, which means there's no, we can't fill ourselves by the Spirit. It's something that He has to do. It's an experience that we have with the Holy Spirit. It's not just something we go, oh, I can tell you what it is. And so we use the description of the Spirit like the winds, and we started thinking through the wind. We can't control the wind. We can't make the wind go this way or that way or this strong or not this strong. Like the wind is unpredictable. It's its its, its own thing. It has its own will. So we started to go, okay, think about it like sailing, Right? We need to find a way to get the sail in order to harness the wind so that way the sail is filled with the wind. And once the sail is filled with the wind, the sailboat is now under the influence of the wind. And that's what we were thinking as we described being filled by the Spirit. Is what can we do to harness where the Holy Spirit is moving? And Paul gave us some examples Right To basically speak who God is to one another out of his word. And we do that in one aspect in church by worshiping together. By ascribing glory to God and ministering to him together. So we are to sing together the praises due to his name. Even if you don't feel like it, you give a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. We are to bring psalms and hymns and spiritual songs it's a big deal. And as we do that, we find ourselves in a, grat in a posture of gratitude where we give thanks for all things and in everything. And as we do that, we are starting to understand and again to experience the love of God as the sail, as it were, is being filled with the wind. That's why Paul goes into the next phrase, submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's one aspect of the dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have to set our spiritual sails in such a way to harness the wind. But there's other descriptions of this dynamic relationship. Being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, and living by the Spirit. Three different ways of saying the same thing. That's what I want to talk about this morning is what does this look like? What is walking by the Spirit? What is being led by the Spirit? And what does it mean to live by the Spirit? We're going to touch it this morning, and next Sunday we're going to really dig into this. This dynamic, like, this hit me so hard this week, and it was one of those like, oh my goodness, duh, moments, but it was just like a great reminder. This, the Holy Spirit dynamic is so vital that the early church, the apostles, they would never have considered someone a believer just by saying, I believe in Jesus. Like, they wouldn't do that. They would want to see an accompanying witness of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They wanted to see the work of the Holy Spirit that is described as being led by the Spirit. In other words, to be a believer in the early church, the Holy Spirit was the bottom line. That's absolutely important because what we're going to see is you can't even say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit has like front seat. He's front and center in the early church theology that directed the way that they live and operate. Romans 8, 9. Just look at this verse. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, in other words, the Holy Spirit, he does not belong to him. So what does this look like? Like if the Holy Spirit is inside of us, we should know or be able to describe where and how we are being led by the Spirit. This concept, what we even see here in Romans 8, 9, is part of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship that we have with that person of the Trinity. Such a big deal. John 3, 5, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, right? He says, like, you can't be born again on your own. You just can't just go one day, you know what? I believe in Jesus. You just can't be, like, good enough and religious enough. Like, it just cannot happen. You have to be born of water and spirit. That's how you become born again. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, all of our efforts to pursue holiness, to be more like Jesus, is helpless apart from the sanctifying role and power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, every believer in the body of Christ is given a manifestation of the Spirit or a gift of the Spirit for the common good. So if I were to summarize for you in a pithy statement how the early church saw the Holy Spirit, and how the gospel was lived out, here's how I would say it. No spirit, no resurrection. No spirit, no new birth. No spirit, no confession of the lordship of Jesus. No spirit, no victory over sin. No spirit, no progress and sanctification. No spirit, no spiritual wisdom. No spirit, no spiritual gifts. Oh, and let me say again, no spirit, no resurrection. The Holy Spirit was front and center. Front and center. They had fellowship with the Holy Spirit. They interacted with the Holy Spirit as a person. That's important. Now here's, here's where sometimes we go wrong. Is we start to go, well, that's how God moved then and there. Like that's what God did in the apostolic age. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that today. And that can cover a whole slew of things from just like the closeness and intimacy of relation, relating to the Holy Spirit to certain supernatural gifts in the Holy Spirit. And in theology, just like there's like two different camps when it comes to salvation, you got, you know, you're predestined or free will. Like even when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there's two other camps like cessationists. In other words, meaning, yes, the Holy Spirit did certain things back then and only then and now not so much. Or you're a continuationist and you just go, no, what the Holy Spirit did then and there is prevalent and here at our disposal in the here and now. This is important because the fact that we struggle even intellectually with that causes us, okay, causes us simply to treat the Holy Spirit as an academic exercise. Now, we're not going to go into the continuation of cessationist argument right now. We will. But the reason why I bring it up is because it's right there where we tend to go, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I don't like how it divides people, so therefore, and we just do that. But to follow Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit. Not only that, we need to understand just how excited Jesus was about the coming Holy Spirit and how substantial the Holy Spirit will be in the life of the church. Write this down, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 26. These are like what we call the upper room discourses, chapter 14, 15, 16, and even 17. These are the, like the last teachings that Jesus had with his disciples before he went to the cross and resurrected. He says here, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Forever is, is kind of a strong continuing type of word. A counselor, a person that represents some sort of interaction, some sort of relationship. A counselor is close to you. 
knows your hurts, knows your burdens, knows your things, and gives advice. Right? That's, that's this beautiful picture. He will give you another counselor. And he is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. And that's in reference to the Holy Spirit. In a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live, you too will live. And on that day, you will know that I am the Father and you are me and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Love this. Underline this one. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. That's, that's just not talking about the 40 days after the resurrection. This is one of the aspects of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inside of you desires with every fiber of his being, if I can say that, I know it's theologically impossible, longs to reveal Jesus to you. That's, like, that's a great summary of his role. The fact that Jesus says it's like, and I will reveal myself to you through the Holy Spirit I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I told you. John 16, verses 5 through 15. I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go, the counselor will not come. How many of you have said, if only I was there with Jesus, it would be so much easier. Okay, let's maybe not put that in the past tense. If Jesus was here with me today, it'd be so much easier. Right? We start to think like, oh, faith would be easy if I could see Jesus. Well, is Jesus a liar? Like, people saw the miracles he did and they didn't even put faith in him then. Like, when Jesus says, it's for your benefit that I go. That, that, that's a surprising statement. It's almost as if Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is better, but that's not what he's saying because that would be impossible. That would be a breach of the Trinity. But he's saying, he's like, it's for your benefit that I'm going because previously he was saying, like, if you believe in me, you're going to do greater things. He's talking about the expansion of the church and now everybody who believes in Jesus is born again, has the Spirit living inside of them. I'm going to give the counselor to you. If I go, I will send him. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to be the one who will open the eyes about the gospel. He will be the one that convicts the sin. He will be the one to show about righteousness. The Holy Spirit is God's acting agent on earth right now. Verse 12, I have so many things to tell you, says Jesus, but you can't bear them right now. You need the Holy Spirit because when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me. He will do this. Like, it's just this beautiful picture. So how do we have this dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit? How are we constantly going to be filled by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and live by the Spirit? It's for relationship. We have to understand this. He came. The Holy Spirit's coming. He came in our hearts to root us in the love of God. Empowered us to love God and others. I want to talk now to your heart. Okay? What we're going to do now is heart talk. That was a little bit of head. I want to talk to your heart. We can only love God because God first loved us, 1 John 4. We can't somehow just magically get ourselves to love God more. Like he takes the first step. He always takes the first step. We love because he loved us. We have to have it revealed to us. We have to have God, we have to have the Holy Spirit to open our eyes in order to grasp it. And the love of God is so radical. 
It's so mysterious. It's so foreign to us because the way we love one another apart from Jesus is conditional based upon some status, some behavior, some sort of approval. It's all conditional. So when we think about the love of God, we immediately have a hard time imagining unconditional love. That stirs up so many things inside of our own hearts. We can't grasp a God who loves like that because God is holy. When we think of God, to think of God, you have to think of God as holy. One who is just without sin. One who cannot tolerate sin because if he can tolerate sin, then he's not just. And God can't be loving if God is not just. I lied. We're still in the head. But we're here. Like he created all things. Like we have to understand this. He gave his very life. To the ones, you and I, who despised him, who rejected him, who chose to be independent, who don't really care about him, who spat on him, who mocked him, who blasphemed him, all these things. And he came, he took on flesh. God, holy, just, merciful, took on the sin of the world to fulfill the righteous requirement in order to appease the justice of God. He took it all. And the wrath of God was poured out on him that while we were still his enemies, God loved us. How can we understand that apart from the Holy Spirit? It's impossible. In fact, if we were to be honest, my relationship with God, the struggle I have with it is because I don't understand his love for me. I still feel at times unworthy of his love. Is it true? Yes, it's true because he's holy, but he chose to love me and now I'm righteous because of Jesus and that way I can be loved by him. But I still struggle with that. I still feel condemned. I still feel guilt because I'm not good enough. I struggled here. I failed here. I thought this. I don't pray enough. I don't give enough. I don't do this enough. And even on the flip side, some of us maybe not be wallowing in the guilt and condemnation and shame. Some of us just think we're all that. I'm good enough. I'm religious enough. I'm this enough. Look, at I've done this enough. And you know when you're in that camp because you're judging other people who aren't good enough. We need the Holy Spirit to root us in his love. This is why Paul writes this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. So astounding, this prayer. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And I pray, I pray that he may grant you, that he would show his favor, that he would gift you according to the riches of his glory, that you would be strengthened with power in your inner being through what? His spirit. You, you can't get this strength on your own. Paul's like, I need you and I want you as your pastor to be rooted in the love of Christ. So I am praying that God would grant you, that he would grant you out of the riches, out of his generous wealth, to be strengthened with power in your inner being, in your own spirit, that he, through him, would empower you and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why? Praying that you would be rooted and firmly established in love. Not just any old love. The love of God. So that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, with all the church, the length, the width, and the height, and the depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. In other words, you can't know this on your own. Because it doesn't make any logical sense. And that's why a lot of people have a hard time believing 
and the gospel. Know the love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of Christ. Powerful image. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. In your life right now. The Holy Spirit leads us to know, not intellectually know. We, we got to get to this place where, like, when we hear the word knowing, it's both and. It's, it's knowing in our minds, but yet experiencing with our hearts. Do, do you know right now, friends, the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge? Like, do, do you know that? I don't care what you did last night, this week. Do you know the love of Christ? The love that moved him to die on the cross. The only love that really sees you. Like, do you, do you know that? To be led by the Spirit is to know this love. Let's look at Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, in other words, like we talked about that a few weeks ago, like Jesus' resume is now our resume. His goodness is now our goodness. Like I am justified because of Jesus, because of his love. We have peace. With God, it's, it's settled. It's, it's settled. We're not under condemnation. We don't, we don't have to wonder how God thinks and feels about us, how he sees us. We don't have to wonder if we're, our salvation is guaranteed and assured or not. It is. We have peace with God. If there's no assurance of salvation, friends, there is no peace with God. Just saying. Sorry. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this Grace that we stand in. We're standing in grace. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we boast in our afflictions. Because we know afflictions produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts in the area where we need it the most, the wellspring of life, where we wrestle with pride and insecurity and brokenness and wounds from the past. All of the failures has been poured into our hearts, overflowing in amazing, infinite abundance through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Think about that. Hope doesn't disappoint no matter what we're going through because we know here and here the love of God that's been poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to continually pour out the love of God into your heart. Constantly. Powerful language. So, how would these questions make you feel? What if the application this morning was you walking out of here and saying, God, how much do you love me? Have you ever asked that question? God, how do you see me? How much do you love me? Do you love me? Well, I can't ask that question. That would be like an insult to him. Gosh, I know I should know. Why should I need to ask it? Do you ever say that to your kids? Dad, you love me. I told you once. You're underneath my house. Early on in marriage, I thought I knew everything there was to know about how to love my wife. That was short-lived. Right, like love languages and all that kind of stuff, learning each other's love languages. And like I grew up in a family where we didn't express love a lot. That's still hard for me, right? And so like early on in our marriage, like I, I, I'm a bit of a stinge when it comes to words of affirmation because I don't need it always, so therefore they don't need it always and they should just be like me. But actually what I realized 
dirty little secret is I actually need words of affirmation. I just didn't admit that. And so, like, I remember some of our conflicts. Like, she would be like, I need you just to remind me that you love me. I need you to. And I remember having these moments of conflict being like, why? Like, you know I love you. I said I do. Like, I, I got the ring. Like, this, I know you love me. I don't need you to do that for me. But now I'm realizing how it's actually such a joy and an honor to shower words of affirmation on my wife daily. Right? Like, we think that with the Holy Spirit. It's like, why not ask the Lord, how much do you love me? Holy Spirit, can you just show me the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Do you think he's going to say, hey, Ephesians 1 tells you that I am the deposit guaranteeing eternal life. You have it, so why do I need to tell you I love you again? Will God do that? No, but I don't want to ask. I don't want to be all about emotions and all this kind of stuff. Guys, if you, if you despise emotions, you're despising a little bit of God, a lot of bit of God. Yeah, we're not going to be all in emotionalism where we manufacture, manipulate emotions. But how can you not be emotional when you experience the love of God? Like, being led by the Spirit you will. This is what he wants to do. He wants to reveal Jesus to you. And when you see who Jesus is, how can you not see the love of God that transcends all knowledge? It's fascinating. But sometimes we're just so afraid to ask. It feels foolish. I dare you this week, ask. Just ask. I promise you he will respond in a way that will be meaningful to you. The Holy Spirit wants you to know this. Romans 8, 1 through 2. Just, just look at this passage real quick, right? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to remind you you're not under condemnation. Verse 2. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. Like we can look at all of this in verse 14 through 17. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is inside of you? All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Next verse. Not there. There it is. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but instead you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Holy Spirit inside of you affirms that you've been adopted. You start to long for that relationship. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we indeed are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed, we suffer with him so that we may be also glorified with him. And also you start to go in verse 26 through 28 talking about how the Holy Spirit, this is, this is, this is amazing. Don't fully understand it, but this is amazing. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for as we should. You ever have that moment where you're like, I don't know what to pray, don't know what to do? The Holy Spirit's so clear. He's, he's interceding for you. He knows exactly what you need. He's praying for you. That's amazing. And then it continues in verse you know, chapter 28, you know, God turns all things good together for those who love him. What can separate us from the love of Christ? All of this, this is what it means to be led by the Spirit, is to have this absolute unshakable assurance in the love of God. We see that multiple places in Scripture. Now, some people push back and they start to go, man, this just feels like moralistic, theistic uh, dualism, all this kind of stuff where we're just trying to make ourselves feel better because we're a generation that's been neglected parentally and we don't know what love is and everybody's insecure and everybody doesn't know all these kind of stuff. Listen, no, this is not just all of a sudden this new definition in the church where it's all about love. No, it's always in contrast to holiness and wrath. But if you look at scripture, nerding out for a moment, if you look at scripture, the Holy Spirit is what inspired people to write Scripture. If the Holy Spirit was the one that was carrying people along as he was writing Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, wouldn't it make sense that there's a consistent meta-narrative about the love of God? Yeah. 
One of my favorite images is this image. It's this image of like hyperlinking. Everything on the bottom is a Bible verse. Some, somebody who had way too much time on their hand discovered from Genesis to Revelation, which I'm thankful they did, that there's 63,779 cross-references from Genesis to Revelation. That's over a period of 1,500 years, 40 different authors who really never met each other, diverse backgrounds, different economic situations, different political situations, shepherd, priest, prophet, tent maker, fisherman, physician, tax collector, singers, farmers, etc. There's no air, there's no contradiction, maybe a little grammar deal, whatever. But all of this, the Holy Spirit wrote this meta-narrative in order to unite everything underneath the love of Christ. This is not just some random thing that now we're trying to appeal to people's hearts because people are dealing with a lot of hard stuff. The gospel is applicable for all time. We're sinners. We rebelled. We're lost. We need God to come love us, to find us, to save us. We respond through the promptings and the leading and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and no human heart has ever conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Well, now God has revealed these things to us by his spirit, because the spirit searches everything. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. How? How? How can you love someone you have not seen? The Holy Spirit makes Jesus more real than a human relationship. That's fact. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seen him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is one dynamic of being led by the Spirit, is you being rooted in the love of Christ. But church, I have to, I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go there. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to love God and others. It's that story when the Pharisees were like, how can you accept this woman who's weeping at your feet? And Jesus says, look at this woman. In essence, he summarizes like, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. What happens naturally in our hearts when we are rooted in the love of Christ, we cannot help but want to love others. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Paul talks about church health, Colossians 1.4, talking about how they have love for all of God's people. Loving others is a clear indication if the church is being led by the Holy Spirit. No human categories, no divisions, male nor female, no race, no ethnicity, no economic standards, nothing matters when it comes to the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is enabled and empowered. The love of God is so vast that it's for the entire human race for all time. We are called to be imitators of God in Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes everything. What matters is faith working through love. Love is the bottom line. Now, I know as I'm saying that, I can almost imagine some of the thoughts, okay? 
We're going to talk about how do we love like Jesus in July. But I want to say this briefly because our culture has distorted what love is and how love works. Love accepts the whole person regardless. But love doesn't disregard holiness and accept harmful behaviors or mental constructs that damage people. That would be unloving. But the problem is, is our culture speak of everything in polarities. Like it's either all or nothing. And unfortunately, the church has jumped on that bandwagon. The church in the midst of our present cultural wars, I'm telling you, has unfortunately radiated more bitterness, resentment, anger, disgust, self-righteousness, and judgment than love. That defeats the purpose of the gospel. Faith working through love. The Holy Spirit's the one that convicts of sin and righteousness. This is so important for us. This is, I'm going to end here. Romans 13, 8. Do not owe anything, anyone anything. In other words, don't be in debt to anyone. And the implication here is what's next. Owe. But be in debt regarding love. I love that. Do not owe anyone anything except the debt to love one another. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Oh, Jesus had a fun story for that one. The good Samaritan, the marginalized, the outcast, the least likely, the one that the church judged. We are given a new heart and a new spirit because of the Holy Spirit. If we find ourselves basking and enjoying the love of God without loving other people, we are hypocrites. We are hypocrites. Because Christ died for you while you were an enemy, while you were a sinner, while you were under his wrath. He died for you because he loved you. Now the love of Christ ought to compel us to love our neighbor, to appeal to them, to be reconciled to God because he took on their sin. He took on their sin. This is what it means to be led by the Spirit. So here are questions. I'm not going to give you any application besides reflecting on these questions because you're going to see these questions the next three weeks. Here it is. Regarding being filled by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, do you desire to be a participant or a spectator? A participant is one who is willing to harness the wind. The participant is one who's willing to follow the promptings. A spectator would rather just sit and then critique and then give people their solutions and recommendations without getting involved. But here's another question that I want you to really answer. What are your fears regarding the Holy Spirit? Because I don't know about you, but me, I like to lead myself. I'll share this story. Last Sunday, some of you may have saw it. As I'm preaching about the Holy Spirit, I'm literally carrying this anxiety inside of me a little bit of like, oh my goodness, I know what happens. Sometimes like weird things happen in the church when you do that, right? I was standing over there and I usually kind of walk to the side a little bit just to pray and debrief. Someone who I never saw before, who was just visiting our church, found out, walked up to the front. And as he did that, he grabbed my arm. Not just like gently, like he grabbed my arm and I was just like, oh my gosh. And he was like forcing me up to the front and I'm immediately going, I'm dead. Like, I don't know what this is, you know, and I'm just like, I'm wrestling and I'm like, oh my gosh, is he going to like, you know, start to prophesy or this or that? You know, I'm like, just everything's going through my mind, you know, and I'm like panicking and like getting all nervous. And, and all he did was just worship. That was it. And, and in that moment, it was just like the Lord was doing something in my heart, like revealing that I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit and what he might do. So after the service, I came up to him, I said, hey, I don't know you. What was that? Like, I'm good with you coming up, but why did you, like, manhandle me? He's like, I don't know. But, like, he says, like, in the morning, I was brushing my teeth at my friend's house, and I just started praying. I'm like, Lord, I need to be filled with the Spirit again. I'm so sorry. I've left. 
And he's like, and you started preaching about being filled with the Spirit. I was like, oh my goodness. And then I felt like the Lord was testing my faith. Like, if you want to be filled, come on up. And he, and he did. And as he was walking up, he felt another prompt, like, grab the pastor with you. And he's just like, he's like, I don't, okay. And he's just like, I'm not that way. I don't do that. I, you know, and I was like, so why do you think he spoke to you? And he's just like, I felt like God needed to let you know that you're on the right track, that you're doing the right thing, right? Like my fear, I'm telling you, I'm, I fear the Holy Spirit. He's uncontrollable, right? Like what's your fear of the Holy Spirit? Because some of you might be to love someone that you really don't want to love. Do you really want to be led by the Spirit? I'm gonna let you sit on that. And, and I know I went long on Father's Day, but I want you to use this time of worship and just remembering what Paul said. How are we filled by the Spirit? Worshiping. Use this time. Ask the Lord these questions. Man, do I want to participate in what God is doing? or not? Do I need to know the love of Christ as surpasses knowledge? What about the Holy Spirit in my fearing? Do I want to be led? Lord, I thank you for your word, and I trust that your spirit is alive and active and moving. And Lord, I just pray that you would do what you need to do. We give this space to you. We honor you, Holy Spirit, like it says in Isaiah 64. Would you open up the heavens and come down? Lord, would, you, would you, your wind blow in this place? I know there's friends in this room who really are struggling with love. Maybe because they've never experienced love growing up or maybe they've been abused, maybe even by a father. Lord, would you restore that? Would you redeem that? Would you heal that? Lord, we know the enemy wants to distort you and your heart. So Holy Spirit, would you now strengthen us? Give us the power to be able to grasp to together the height and the length and the width and the depth of the love of Christ. So Holy Spirit, would you blow in Christ's name?